to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll notice that the very first word is therefore. So what we're about to read is directly related to what we read last time. So let's just back up a few verses and get a running start. Let's begin reading with 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is God's Word. As a parent, and as all of you who, have, who either are parents of young children, or you're past that stage, but you can remember how things were, seeing your children grow and learn and mature is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. Uh, it sometimes makes your life a little easier, right? When they can learn to do some things for themselves. Uh, but there's also a little bit of a, a sadness to it, isn't there? Um, we were thinking just uh, yesterday, Kelby and I, about Joel. He's going to go to kindergarten this fall, and he's been uh, learning sight words. I think he's up to 25 words now that he can look at and tell us what they are. And you've got 25 words down, you can do a little bit of reading. Uh, we're, we ride down the road in the car, and he just sees a word on the side of the road and tells us what he thinks it is, or he'll just start spelling something out of the blue, whatever pops into his head. And that's, that's so much fun to experience. But then we go back and we look at pictures and videos from three or four years ago. And, you know, we've got him sitting in the floor with a board book, banging it on the ground, pretending to read. And that's just as much fun as him actually doing any reading, right? So there is a measure of sadness that comes along with seeing your children grow up. However, if they didn't grow up, we would know something is wrong, Right? If our children didn't mature, if they didn't grow, if they didn't learn to do things for themselves, something is wrong. And when it comes to our Christian life, really things are just the same. If we do not see growth, if we do not see maturity, if we do not see progress in our walk with the Lord, something's wrong. And Peter wrote this passage, and he is really good at long sentences. Uh, everything we read there in ver verse 1, 2, and 3 is just one long sentence. You've got participial phrases, you've got your verb, you've got your prepositional phrases. And he just drags it out and usually has one point in this big long sentence that everything points to. And his purpose in what he just wrote in, in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 that we just read, he comes to this 
purpose in verse 2, that you may grow. That you may grow. And it's essential that every Christian, every child of God, be experiencing growth. It's not always as fast as we would like. We may not always see the progress right away. But over time, as we look back at the life that God has been with us through, we should be able to see some kind of change, some kind of growth, and we ought to desire to mature. So how do we experience Christian growth? What does Christian growth require? What does Christian growth require? And there are two main things in this passage that I want to point us to. Number one... Christian growth requires getting rid of sin. Getting rid of sin. He says there in verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now, we could talk about sin broadly. We could speak about sin as, a, as a, an umbrella term. But Peter gives us a very specific list of sins. And maybe these were sins that were apparent or that he saw uh, in this church and in these Christians that, that they needed to lay aside. But these are the sins that he mentions. He says malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Just briefly look at each one of those. He says all malice. That's sort of, that sort of is an umbrella term. It's a, a categorical, all-inclusive term. We could say it another way, wickedness. Malice, wickedness. And malice isn't necessarily uh, an action in and of itself. Malice is more of the intention and the attitude behind an action, isn't it? Now, we offend each other. We're people, we're humans, we're sinful. Somebody in this room in the last six months has hurt your feelings. And if you were to go to that person and say, well, I just want to let you know uh, that you said this or you did this and, and it hurt me and uh, I, I, I really did not appreciate what you said or what you did. What is that person most likely going to say right back to you? I'm sorry, I certainly didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't have the intention of making you feel a certain way. Most of the time... Hopefully, thankfully, in Christian churches, when we do hurt one another, it's usually not out of uh, an intentional response to something. But it does happen, doesn't it? Malice is that intention behind whatever you said or whatever you did uh, that harmed another person. And it doesn't have to be something big. You know, sermons get preached to me before they get preached to you. So I'm reading this text all week. I'm asking the Lord to show me my own sin. And this very thing came to my mind on Red Brush Road uh, just the other day. I pulled out onto Red Brush Road. Maybe I did pull out and somebody was going a little fast and maybe I should have waited on them, but I didn't. I got out there and they got right up on my bumper. You know how they do. Okay, fine. I pulled out. Half a mile later, they're still on my bumper. Now, what do you do whenever somebody gets on your bumper? Uh, I tap the brakes. Um, if you're in a hurry, and you're in that big of a hurry that you're willing to run me over, I think you need to slow down. 
check, you know, look at the scenery, look at the mountains, do something. So I just tapped my brakes and I was going to make my turn onto Maple Hollow Road. And, and I took that turn very slowly, came almost to a complete stop before I turned. I know that, that was not kind. <laughs> and as I made that turn, I thought, lay aside all malice. How much malice? All malice. All malice. Even if you you mean to teach someone a lesson, <laughs> which I'm sure they didn't learn. But he says, lay aside all malice. My intention was to get under the skin of the driver behind me. Yes, I'm a sinner too. Malice will destroy relationships. It will destroy fellowship in families and in churches. And Peter says to us, lay aside all malice. Now one form of malice is deceit. That's the next thing in the list. He says, lay aside all deceit. The word that, that Peter used here comes from the idea of Catching something with bait, like when you're fishing. Uh, some of the guys that were here uh, last week invited me to go trout fishing with them tomorrow. Um, and it's not my thing, but I hope they have a great time. And I hope that if they catch something and decide to cook it, that they'll call me. Um, but they're going to go out there and they're not just going to throw hooks into the water. If, if you're going to go fishing, what are you going to use? Bait. Why? Because you want to deceive that fish. With malice in your heart. <laughs> you want to deceive that fish into thinking that he's going to get a meal. When in reality, he's yours. That's the word that Peter uses when he says, all deceit. You see, Christians follow the one. We follow Jesus who refers to himself as the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Peter says of Jesus, or back in verse 22, since you have purified your souls and obey, or excuse me, in verse 22 of chapter 2, he refers to him as who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was one who was characterized by the truth. That's who we follow. We are to be people who are characterized by telling the truth. Not trying to bait people into doing what we want them to do. Not to manipulate people. Not to deceive one another. Especially those whom we call our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Perhaps the worst kind of deceit is what Peter mentions next. He says, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Pretense. Acting one way openly or around one person or a group of people and then acting another way or an opposite way secretly or around another person or another group of people. Wearing a mask. Pretending to be something that you aren't. That happens far too often in churches on Sunday morning. That we come in, we put up the front, we put on our smiling Christian face. We say nice things to the people around us. We shake their hands and say, it's so good to see you. 
But that text you sent me earlier this week is what we're thinking in the back of our mind. Or what I heard you said to this person. But to the face, we smile. It's so good to see you this morning. To put on the Christian front, to look nice when we come around others, but then when we leave this place or in any number of places and really show ourselves to be something else. Peter, the writer of this letter, had actually been called out on this by Paul. Do you remember that? Paul wrote about it. Of course, Peter didn't write about it. Paul wrote about it in Galatians chapter 2. Remember Peter and Barnabas and some others were there eating with Gentiles. Jewish men eating with Gentiles. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing that's happened in the church. That Christians are not limited to one ethnicity. But that we're all inclusive of all peoples of all the world who will repent and put their faith in Jesus. Peter and Barnabas. These Jewish men eating with Gentiles. It's a wonderful thing. But then... James and some of the Christians from Jerusalem, the other Jews, came into the room. And what did Peter and Barnabas do? They put some distance between themselves and the Gentiles. Our Jewish brothers are here. You see, when the other Jews weren't around, they were friendly with the Gentiles. But the other people like us are here. We've got to put some distance. And Paul called him out on it. Said it was a wicked thing. To show partiality like that. We've got hypocrisy. And the next thing he mentions is envy. Envy. Envy is being so upset or sad or begrudging or angry. Any one of those emotions. Because someone else has something that you want. And you want and you won't be satisfied until they don't have it. Whether it's something physical that they have in their possession or whether it's an experience or whether it's what other people think of them. Upset, sad, begrudging, angry because someone else has something that you don't have and you would love to do something to take it away. Mark 15, when Jesus was brought before Pilate, the Bible says that Pilate knew that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. Jesus had the following. Jesus had people going after him, leaving their teachings and following him. And they hated him for it. They hated him so much that they wanted him dead. And they delivered him over to be killed by the Romans. Now, I would hope that if envy creeps into your life, into your heart, that you wouldn't go as far as killing someone over it. But who is it that you just feel the urge that you have to say something negative about them every time their name comes up? Somebody brings up this person in conversation and you've got to say, yeah, I can't stand this about them. Why... Is that? Why, why do we do that? Now, whether you would admit it or not, it might just have something to do with envy. You can't stand the thought of someone else thinking well of them. 
And related to that, Peter mentions the next thing. He says, envy and all evil speaking, all slander. To run someone down. Now, I I benefit from saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Sunday lunch conversation uh, shouldn't be uh, the thing that the preacher did that irritated you that week. (laughs) Or your Sunday school teacher. Or your kid's Sunday school teacher. Or the guy that about ran you down in the parking lot with his car. Christians are not to be people who are known by their use of slander. Don't give your tongue over to those things. Don't gossip. Don't speak ill of others. Just make it a habit to say good things about other people. And even if you're not the one doing the speaking, don't give your ear to gossip or slander. Don't enable the one who is using their tongue for those things. Notice this, that all of these things, all of these sins that he mentions here have to do, they all relate to what we do to each other. It has to do with our relationships with other people. Because remember what he said back in 22, he spoke spoke of their sincere love of the brethren. Loving one another fervently with a pure heart. When we commit these sins, we are not loving one another. When we love one another, we'll reject these sins. We'll do away with them. And that's what he's calling us to do. What does he say to do with them? He says, laying aside. Laying aside these things. What does that mean? The idea of the word is to reject something that's connected with your person, your body, or your mind. In in Acts chapter 7, remember when Stephen preached his first sermon and his last sermon. He called out the Jews for their sin told them to repent and put their trust in Jesus. They hated Him and they wanted to stone Him. And Acts chapter 7 verse 58 says, they cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. And the witnesses laid down, laid aside their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Whenever they were wanting Stephen dead, they took their robes, they took them off, they took off anything that might hinder them from throwing stones, and they laid them aside in the care of Saul. That's what he's calling us to do when he says, lay aside these sins. It's like taking off your coat. That's what he's calling these Christians to do. Take it off. Remove the hindrance. Throw it aside. Paul used the same word when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said that you put off, that you lay aside your former conduct. That old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And He called us to lay that aside, to take it off, so that we could put on the new man that was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. You can't put on righteousness, you can't put on holiness, unless you first take off this sin and lay it aside. One more use of that word is in Hebrews 12. The writer said, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like a runner who doesn't want to be weighed down 
unnecessarily. Christians, we are called to lay aside, to throw off our sins so that we can run the race that is the Christian life with endurance. And a vital part of Christian growth is learning how to identify, learning how to recognize the sins that are in your own life. Asking the Holy Spirit to show you the sin that is in your life. And then being humble enough to cast it aside. Get rid of it. Lay aside these things. Lay aside these things specifically. But if there are any other sins that the Holy Spirit shows you or that another Christian points out to you, have the humility to hear it and to repent and to lay it aside. You want to grow as a Christian? Get rid of your sin. A huge part of Christian growth must be seeing sin and killing it. Seeing sin and killing it. Seeing sin and killing it. And you'll keep seeing sin as you kill it until the day you die and see Jesus and are made perfect. Lay aside these things. Christian growth requires getting rid of sin. It also requires desiring the Word. That's the second thing. Peter says in verse 2, As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. The command that he gives is to desire, to long for, to crave. How do you make yourself want something? Can you flip a switch and make yourself desire something that you don't already want? If I could do that, if I could flip a switch in my mind and crave something, I would make myself like green peas. I can't do it. I've tried. The whole eating it till you get used to it thing just isn't working. And there's nothing in my mind, no switch in my body that I can flip and just crave something that I don't already want. You know what is natural? For a baby to want milk. That's natural. He says that we are to desire, to long for, to crave the Word of God just like a baby longs for milk. Now, I don't know about your babies, but neither of my sons ever approached me and said, Father, I'm hungry. May I please have some milk? Never once. You know what they did when they were babies and they wanted milk? They screamed. They cried. They thought they were going to perish if they didn't have milk right now. If you didn't have it ready when they wanted it, you're just out of luck. You're going to have to listen to it. They cry. They scream. They long for the milk and nothing will satisfy them until that bottle is in their mouth. A baby cries and screams like his life is going to end. If you don't get him that milk right now, he must have it and he will not be satisfied until he does. Do you feel that way about your Bible? Do you feel that way about the Word of God? I think some of you do. 
You've got your time of day, morning or lunch or night, whatever habit you've established, when you go to the Word of God to be fed, you sit, you read, you study, you pray, you spend time with God, and it is an essential part of your life. If some unavoidable circumstances happen that interrupt your life, it causes you to miss a day or two, you feel it. You desire to return to the Word of God. You need it. You need the nourishment. You have to have it. I think some of you really do feel that way. Unfortunately, not all of us feel that way. For some of you, it may be that what you hear on Sundays, the Sundays that you come to church, that's the most Bible you get all week. Maybe you hear the, the verse of the day on Christian radio or on the Bible app, and that's good, but you don't have a, a steady diet of taking yourself again and again daily to the Word of God. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on people who are making a genuine effort. If you're really trying and your, your life is just in a crazy season right now and you don't spend as much time in the Word as you want, but you really are trying to spend your time in God's Word as much as you can, I'm not trying to, to guilt you right now or to make you feel bad. Keep going again and again as often as you can to the Word of God. But my question is, do you even try? Do you desire the Word of God? If you desire God's Word, you're going to make an effort to spend time in God's Word. You'll make time for reading your Bible. You see, it was by the Word that we were saved. Remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 23? He said, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. It was through this Word that you heard it, and through that Word that the Holy Spirit regenerated your spirit. That you were brought from death to life. It was through this living and abiding Word. You were saved because you heard the Word of God, and it gave you life. You were born again. And it's this same Word that sustains us. In our Christian life. Peter calls it pure milk. Pure milk. The word literally means without deceit. It was fascinating studying this week. Because in verse 1 he's calling us to lay aside deceit. The word is dalos. But then you come to pure milk. And he uses ah dalos. It's the same word just with a, an alpha in the front to negate it. So he's telling us to lay aside deceit and to go to the Word that is without deceit. It is pure. It is true. It is unadulterated. It's uncontaminated. It's the perfect, holy Word of God. It's the pure milk. And it is by this Word, desiring, craving, longing for the Word that we grow. Christian growth requires getting rid of sin and it requires desiring the Word of God. Let me say that another way. Christian growth requires both Bible 
and battle. Christian growth requires both Bible and battle. Do you desire to grow? Do you want to take the next step in your life as a Christian? Do you have the urge to make progress in your walk with the Lord? I hope you do. No matter where you are in your Christian life, no matter what step you're on, no matter how long you've known the Lord, if you want to grow, you have to keep coming back to these basic things over and over again. Christian growth requires Bible and battle. You must come to the Word and you must fight your sin. Do you have a regular time that you spend with the Lord and His Word? Do you read your Bible? If not, what are you going to do about it? What decision do you need to make today? What step do you need to take today to begin forming that habit of time in the Word of God? Spending time with the Lord in His Word. If you want help from some other Christians, just walk up here as soon as this service is over and tell me you want to get connected to a discipleship group. Because let me just be honest, that's the most effective way that I've seen so far that gets people reading their Bible on their own every single day. If you're going to meet with a group of Christians once a week and they're going to go around the table and ask, did you read your chapters this week? You do not want to be the one to show up to that meeting and have to say no. Hold yourself accountable. Partner up with a Christian friend. Read through the Bible together. Christian growth requires Bible and battle. Are you fighting a battle against your sin? Are you really fighting? Sometimes we come back to a sin over and over again and, and, and we have this habitual sin that we keep falling into. And, and when we talk about it, we say, yeah, I'm really struggling and fighting against this sin. But in reality, we're not struggling or fighting against it. It's just the one we keep going to and we feel guilty. Are you really putting up a fight? Are you really charging into battle to get rid of your sin, to kill it? Even if you feel guilty about it, are you really just letting yourself give in to your lusts? Whatever you desire, you have what you like. Is sin just having its way in you? Are you really, or are you really putting up a fight against it? What do you need to do to turn the heat up on your sin? Who do you need to go to as soon as we say amen today and maybe apologize for some way you've sinned against them? What sin do you need to confess to God right now as we're about to pray? What subscription do you need to cancel? What relationship do you need to cut off? What sin has God brought to your mind this morning that you need to run into battle and fight against? What is it? Answer it right now to yourself. Christian growth requires both Bible and battle.
Peter gives a caveat here in verse 3. He says, if, if indeed, the end of this long sentence, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And that's a reference back to the Psalms. You all, you've all heard it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He is kind. He is gracious. And He proved it when He sent Jesus. Because even though we're sinners, and even though we deserve judgment from God, Jesus came and lived the sinless life in our behalf. He died on the cross and was punished for our sins. He died in our place. We repent of our sins and put our trust in Him. We truly taste that the Lord is gracious. Because He forgives our sins and He gives us eternal life. If you've not tasted the Lord's kindness, the Lord's graciousness in this salvation, you will have neither the desire nor the power to do these things. You won't desire the Word of God and you won't put up a fight against your sin. You need to repent. Turn away from your sins. Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone today. Pray to Him. Ask Him for mercy. Ask Him to forgive you and to give you eternal life. He'll do it. He said He would. However, if indeed you have tasted, as Peter says, that the Lord is gracious, you will run to the Bible. You will run into battle against your sin. Christian growth requires both Bible and battle. So my question to you is this, what step do you need to take today? Tell the Lord as we pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the holy desire that you have put in us as your children to run to it. To feed on it. To be changed by it. You've promised us power in our battle against sin. And Lord, I pray that even now the Holy Spirit would bring to our minds those sins we need to confess. Those things that we need to make right. And I pray that right now in this room, in this congregation, that whatever sins you bring to our minds, that we would confess them to you and repent right now. And that beginning today and all this week and for the rest of our lives, that you would give us a hunger, a thirst, a desire for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.